0: If something happens, I'm kind of too far to go right away. I, that's, that's the hardest part. And I miss family and friends. People ask me if I miss the food or I think they're so far behind the rest. Uh, meaning I can cook my own food and I can, <laughs> in New York you can find pretty much anything else. It's really family and close friends that I miss.
1: Before we begin today's episode, I want to Remind the listeners that we have a Patreon account. So if you like our podcast and conversations we bring every week, please consider donating to our Patreon. You can make a small contribution as low as $5 and it will help us sustain the podcast and grow our audience. And now on to our guest. I usually introduce my guest, but I have made a few exceptions in the past where I ask my guests to introduce themselves. And I'm going to do the same today. But I can tell you this. I'm very excited to be sharing his incredible story of love. So why don't you introduce yourself? Can you tell the listeners who you are?
0: Hi, Sadia. So my name is Francesco Bertocci. I'm uh, 43 years old now. I moved to the U.S. when I was 28, and I'm a designer by trade. I've been doing a lot of different things over my career. But uh, my wife and I met in Rome in 2001, and that was kind of the beginning of it all.
1: So You were born in Rome, and you grew up in a place nearby.
0: Yes. I was born in Rome. I grew up in a town called Latina, which is south of Italy. Mm. Uh, so South of Rome. And the big thing about Latina is a special town because it was created by Mussolini in the 30s. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying <laughs> that, that makes it a, one of the newest cities in, in Italy. It's actually a city of immigrants because a lot of people came to Latina to create it from, from scratch. Mussolini invited them and promised them land. A lot of people unfortunately died in the process uh, because of malaria. But the ones that survived ended up with a lot of land. And, and over time, now I think it's about 150,000 people, roughly, that, that area. But because it was created by Mussolini, also slents very conservative, which is interesting because and it's the first time, actually, I think I make that connection between Latina being a little America in a way. Like, in, in a way, <laughs> there's you know, a lot of people arrive there the initially, was very we're very, um, you know, going for a new life in a way, looking for something new, and then at some point over time, they turned a little more conservative. So I, I you know, there's a little bit of that here maybe too. But
1: and how did the, that impact your outlook on life growing up in a rather conservative environment?
0: Well, the when I was in high school, for example, politics to me did not interest at all because I felt like there was no conversation. I really could remember one person that was considered a communist. He Just because he was, well, you know, I had, had more ideas, was, there were more lefty, uh, leftist ideas. Um, but the rest were just, you know, grew up in that environment and that was all they knew. So they weren't really, like, necessarily racist, but they just didn't know better. And so for a long time until I, you know, I grew up in the era of Berlusconi, when I was, I think the first time I was able to vote, he... He was elected and from there he was there around for like 18 years or something I, I moved to the u.s way before that but basically my first impact or um relationship with politics was very much like okay there's not a lot of options that i can and really don't feel like participating and not to make it too political but you know that i think that is a connection i never drawn before uh, between my hometown and then uh, you know uh, and the situation and here i became a lot more interested for different reasons. But.
1: And we'll talk about those reasons. But before before that, let's talk about your family. Yes. So you were one and a half years old when your parents got divorced. And this was in late 70s, a different time. How did it impact your relationship with your parents?
0: So that, that's very interesting because so oh, it definitely shaped my life. I did not know of any other divorced parents for a mm-hmm. long time. The only other people I knew that had a non-standard family, let's say, where somebody unfortunately had lost one of the parents. And so, and I grew up in Italy, super Catholic, right? And I was going to school at the nuns, and they were not really well receptive or helping that situation at all,
1: right? In what ways were they not helping or receptive to
0: Well, it? I mean, you know, that made me feel weird, right? You don't want a little kid to feel weird just because something their parents have done, mm. and which is, you know, getting divorced. That makes me emotional to think about it. Um, the the point I wanted to make though is, yes, I was a year and a half. My parents got divorced, and my dad had already been married before. They got an annulment from a previous marriage because my mother's parents wanted to marry in church. Right, so mm-hmm. the only way was to get an actual annulment. The unfortunate thing was that my my father already had two kids with two girls, with the previous wife. And I only, I mean, obviously all these details meant something to me only later in life, or fairly recently when I started considering myself, you know, having kids and all these other things. Back then, the nomen didn't mean anything to me. Just, in you know, and by the time I was born, the dust that settled, let's put it this way, when my grandparents on my mom's side, had obtained what they wanted, which was to hurt their daughter to get married in church. Unfortunately for them, and for everybody maybe, meaning they got divorced pretty early on, like an year and, in, and a half into it, obviously things were not working and my mom decided to leave. I'm really happy that that happened because i you know, much rather be in a happy family of any kind uh, than you know, not being in a situation where it's not not fun to be and uh, basically overall my mom got married twice and had two kids and my dad got married four times and yet kids from the very first uh, relationship and then only acquired kids through the other relationships but the so I have technically four uh, stepsisters half sisters sorry half sisters because I shared the dad with the first two they're eight and six years older than me and then I share my mom with the um, younger two. They're 14 and 16 years younger than me. And I'm the godfather to the one who's 16 years old, uh, younger than me. Just to clarify. Now, those are, I, to me, they're my sisters.
1: Who were you close to growing up? What was the custody arrangement?
0: The, basically, I was spending most of my time with my mom's family.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: Uh, my mom also was 24 when she had me, so she was still in the middle of studying medicine, and she's uh, an OBGYN and a surgeon. And in Italy, back then there weren't that many ob so she had a lot of firsts like i'm one of the first to get divorced one of the first <laughs> women doctor to be an OBGYN. and she was still studying a lot and she was after getting divorced she went back home and i basically the first few years i grew up i feel like mostly with my grandparents on my mom's side and i love that my grandfather taught me so many things and My grandmother fed me a lot, and so I have a special relationship with them. Unfortunately, my grandfather on my mom's side passed away when I was 12, 13. My grandmother lived much longer after that, luckily, and I had an amazing relationship also as an adult. We even came to the U.S. when I was 18 and 74, but that's a whole separate story.
1: I remember reading somewhere that you, growing up, you were closest to your grandfather, uh, yes. more so than your parents, I believe, in in some yeah. ways, right? Yes. Can you describe that relationship?
0: I, yeah, I, I, my my granddad, I, I remember, like, Nono Luigi, I guess it's fair to name him. To me, was just, you know, my source of, I learned so much from him. He taught me Matt and to read, to write. I still remember sitting next to him and doing, you know, going through the letters, etc. walking around the woods. He had uh, woods in uh, south of Naples and uh, chestnuts and trees that we would just go and, you know, walk around and go get water to bring back home. When there were springs nearby. To me, it's just special moments. And unfortunately, he got sick at one point, but I think that made my childhood special in that sense. I didn't I think my my grandfather was definitely a good cop uh, and my grandmother wasn't the bad cop in a way <laughs> they want to bring him back to to reality and make sure I ate everything and would not let me get up from the table if I had not finish my food so that but to me they were special I didn't know what I had that was just my reality you know my mom was working a lot overnight
1: uh, because she was a single mother she was
0: a single mother yeah. yes for for some time she was a little uh, single mother not that long because I mm my stepdad which i consider my dad actually walter he came into my life when i was in a year and a half so things didn't become officially uh you know didn't become officially a married couple for a long time in italy divorce would take a long time back then and so it was always a little not not 100% clear maybe to me right and my grandparents were they i don't think they didn't really knew how to handle uh, this situation, you know, like the So what the shame, what
1: situation? I, oh, so they were, like, ashamed of the divorce? Yes,
0: absolutely. Because my, if you think about it, they pushed so hard to get an annulment for the first marriage that my mom and my dad had. Oh, because they didn't so
1: want th- your father to be, right. like, Divorced,
0: like you're not yeah, your exactly. mom. You're to not be marrying or somebody yeah. who's
1: divorced.
0: Exactly, just marrying somebody for a first time, which didn't make any sense. But that was the mentality back then.
1: No, but it makes sense to me. I yeah. mean, the culture that I come <laughs> from, <laughs> okay, <laughs> divorce yes. is still tabooed to some extent. Although things have changed a lot. And what what is interesting to me right now, as we are having this conversation, that you know, in our minds, we have our own culture, and we have. Whatever preconceived notions of about other cultures, I never thought there would be similarities between your culture and my culture. And I'm like seeing those similarities; it's interesting.
0: Yes. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, a lot of similarities. I mean, there's some other cont- cultures where you have to get divorced religiously, yeah. I meaning right, and to be able to marry again. So yeah, in Italy, that, that's the annulment in a way. It's not a common thing, absolutely not. And I don't know many happened before.
1: So we were talking about your stepdad mm-hmm. and how he came into your life. How did that relationship evolve over the years?
0: To me, is my dad now. Mm-hmm. And it took me maybe 10 years to call him dad. I was feeling very much... I felt something special for him. Uh, but I... Also, know that my grandmother didn't really want him to be my dad 100%. Meaning, wouldn't let him be.
1: And so this it, is your maternal grandmother. Yes.
0: Yeah. When I speak about my grandparents, it's basically my
1: maternal. Maternal.
0: Yeah. My on my father's side, they were not really that present. I feel like, and on my stepdad uh, side, they were definitely more present, but not as much during my childhood because they were in a, in Rome and we were in Latina, so we would visit quite a bit, but. Different relationship for sure, much closer with my maternal grandparents. So what what happened is initially my dad was not almost allowed to let's say discipline me, which I understand mm-hmm. is it's just not discipline me isn't just yell at me, but to take care of certain things because my grandmother was kind of in charge, right? <laughs> and uh, and I think that made it really weird for him because you have this. Child that you love, and I know he loved me because he played with me all the time. And in fact, I have amazing memories of really playing with him. Like he—he he is a big guy. He is also six eight. And <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. So, and I'm not that tall. So it gave me kind of an experience. Otherwise, I would have not had like relating to somebody much bigger. And that he was a professional basketball player in Italy. So he also taught me how to play basketball. And so he was present all my childhood, but only up to a certain point because he was told, this is your box, you have to play within this. Mm. And I think he suffered that. And then when he had his own two daughters, I think that's where he became 100% a father. And to me, I kind of miss that. I wish I probably had a a fuller relationship there. For sure there were some, you know, conflicts afterwards as well, like in any relationship. But yeah, I wish I um, had a full version in a way.
1: So let's talk about your move to Rome.
0: Growing up, I was really good at math. Partially, I think, because my grandfather really taught me well, and maybe just an intuition. But everybody thought I could only do engineering. Oh. Okay. And And you didn't do
1: engineering.
0: Yeah. And so initially, I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't know better. I like (laughs) photography, but I don't really know if that I can be a profession for me, Uh, because my family—my mom was a doctor, my dad was a lawyer. So engineering was kind of the only option in that mentality. And so I signed up for computer science engineering, which at the end turned out to be useful, but I didn't graduate because that wasn't, at the end, wasn't my passion. It was just something other people wanted me to do. And that was led to a two or three years at least of conflict with my parents because I really didn't want to do that. And so I pushed really hard to do something else. I started studying co- uh, advertising, art direction, and copywriting. And that was the beginning of my career. That then allowed me to actually come to the U.S. But the day I this is an ongoing joke in my family, the day I graduated from advertising school, my mom said, "Okay, so are you you going back to engineering tomorrow?" <laughs> yeah, I know. Back then it was not fun. Now I laugh about it. But <laughs> l- luckily, I got a job right away at an American company in in Rome, and. Uh, I went pretty quickly from an internship to then a, a job, and that allowed me to skip the military service that back then was actually compulsory in Italy. Mm. And this, that's also kind of a, a sliding door in a way, like a way.
1: And you also talk about how your mom literally like forced you to learn English. <laughs> yeah, that's something that you mentioned. I, I was doing research on you, and I listened to your story, Corpse oh. story, which was beautiful. And I found out that it was your mother who re- literally forced you to do that. But you you attribute this, like, the fact that you can speak English fluently, and you were able to come and integrate in American society to your mother's insistence.
0: Yeah, she doesn't know the gift that that was. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I and I didn't know the gift that was. I definitely... Remember being forced when I was like twelve to go take this pretty the most advanced English course I ever seen in terms of like in my life, and uh, that was really focusing on pronunciation. And the first ten lessons are all about phonetics. Uh-huh. And uh, but yeah, she she kind of in the back of her mind knew that it was important to learn English to open my possibilities. She didn't know how far and that I would be, end up being. Living, you know,
1: across. does she know how to speak English fluently?
0: No, not fluently. She understands some, but she never had a chance to study as much as I did. So, so English e- is Eng- not
1: part of the curriculum in Italy, it's not like taught in schools.
0: In Italy, when my mom grew up, I think she definitely had a chance to study French. Oh, I don't know if English was even offered back then. And then she just, I think she studied just afterwards on her own a little bit uh, through basically courses you can get on your own. But now she did not get a chance. Now I'm pretty sure that, you know, and even when I did it, I started studying some English in elementary school, but it was a, a private school. Then middle school, we had English, but I was still using my knowledge from elementary school. And by the time I was in middle school, I was ahead of everybody else because then I started this private course and then that made a huge difference and I kind of used it up throughout my high school years where I didn't study any literature but it was really good and speaking my teacher was really angry at me.
1: So let's talk about your journey to America. It started in Rome. You met your present wife there. She, Lucy Harris. Present uh, <laughs> and
0: president only. And
1: present and only. And she was there to teach English. How did you guys meet? Can you tell us the whole like story, the scoop?
0: Yeah, the story goes that I had uh, because I, my English was pretty good already by then. I had a roommate that ended up being American in this room roommate. uh, And this was in college? This was in college, yes. I was about maybe 23, 24. I was introduced to my wife through this common friend that was my roommate, and she was an American girl that had come as well from Chicago to live in Rome and teach English there. So she'd been there for a year, and she basically told my wife, hey, why don't you come and do the same? You know, you're, you're in between, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. That's the perfect experience to spend a year at least in Italy. And, uh, yeah, just have fun. So my roommate, one day or fairly quickly, when my uh, back then Lucy arrived to Italy, she goes like, well, you know, I really met a nice guy. I think you should uh, meet him. And so one day I get home and uh, Lucy was there and introduced ourselves, you know, Rachel introduced ourselves. And... um, then it was pretty quick. So, <laughs> what did you dating, like you know, about Lucy? I, I don't know. It was all, it was all new. <laughs> all new. Yeah, I mean, like I had come from a pretty a relationship with basically a, the other person had broken up with me, so I was pretty heartbroken. But I just, I was. She felt very honest. Very. Mm. She was beautiful and still is. But I think that was captured by the interest that she had in me, and and uh, just how genuine she was, really genuine, like to the point that I don't think I met a lot of other Italian people, that were as genuine as she was in that, like just meeting somebody, she was really like looking to get to know me, yeah, and
1: that was really exciting. So initially, when you guys met, was there any, were there any, I'm sure every relationship has growing pains, but in this case, you had... Two different cultural identities as well. So coming together and understanding each other's cultures. What were some of the challenges there, and what what was or what was what were some of the surprises on both sides? Like I'm sure you had some preconceived notions of what Americans look like or talk or what who they are.
0: All over the place. Yes, she because we spent more more time in Italy in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. She had kind of a full immersion into my family. My, especially my younger sisters and my mom and my stepdad, and even my grandmother almost right away. And they're loud. We are loud. <laughs> that is definitely a thing that is not part of Lucy's family. Um, so that was an initial shock. But if you add being loud and not understanding the language, because initially she didn't really speak Italian.
1: Oh, and she does now? She
0: does now. She's pretty fluent. Wow. Uh, she could work in Italy easily. And she actually taught English to senators when she was there. Um, and she talked to a lot of other people too, but mostly because she was teaching English and she was trying not to speak Italian in the beginning. And we were speaking English all the time because it was easier for us to communicate.
1: Do you guys speak Italian, especially when you're outside and you don't want somebody to know what you're talking about? I do that with my husband a lot, like Urdu, but we do that.
0: We definitely try. Um, (laughs) Her family, kind of, some people in the fam- her family understand some Italian, but oh. yes, we can definitely get away with so a lot. So you
1: have to be careful around them, right? <laughs> we have to be
0: careful around them, and I feel like in New York City, you have to be careful. Oh, yes. There's a lot of Italians here, oh, too. Oh, my God, <laughs> I
1: didn't really even realize that. You know, That's and, true.
0: And we Spanish, too. There's Spanish-speaking people, so you never know. But at home, we definitely speak Italian, especially when it's food-related, with more romantic, things like that. English is reserved for fights uh, <laughs> and for also communicating very clearly, okay. making sure. Okay, that this knows. is
1: interesting because I I cannot fight in English. There is so much that I can do when it comes to fighting. Uh-huh. I always revert to my native languages, either Urdu or Pashto, because uh-huh. I, that's how I think. So my vocabulary is very limited when it comes to fighting in English. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, for sure, I know let's say better uh, yeah. words in Italian. Although now I struggle a little bit with Italian because I've been here for so long, mm-hmm. I you know since two thousand four, and for work I speak English all the time. Now I even write in English all the time because I'm working on a remote company yeah. that is only mostly we interact via chat. So, so my day to day is really in English, and so Italian doesn't come to mind. I, although you know, if I hurt myself. I might swear in Italian or something, but, (laughs) you know, um, but the problem, yes, if I were to use any any Italian words, that would make it uh, to my wife with the same intention, so I cannot have to learn, and I'm not at a point where I'm translating anymore, right? I've been here for so long that I don't have to translate. It just comes out of my mouth. Yeah. Thank God. I remember a period, though, where I was neither speaking Italian nor English, and it felt so out of place and that was several years ago now i feel a little funny when i go to italy and try to speak italian and i either don't know the latest words that come from you know some tv TV show or something and just become popular and it that feels weird but when I'm here, I'm basically mostly speaking English, yeah.
1: Were you guys together for a few years before you decided to, you know, m- like marry? Or how, how was that process? What was that process like?
0: So we dated for a couple of years, and we were living also together for at least a year. Uh, at some point, Lucy had seen the passion I had for what I liked to do, which mm-hmm. back then was advertising, and felt like she wanted also to study something that would give her the same, you know that we should channel her passion into. And so she decided to come back, and I supported that, and to go to school here to sign interior design. And and that was rough. That was rough because we basically spent a year apart while I was going through the, the visa, basically. we I came with a fiancé visa. Hmm. Well, um, there
1: is such thing as fiancé visa as well? Th- I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, you never learned. I thought he was saying just visas. spouse visa. Uh,
0: no, yeah, that so... Basically, the fiancé visa is when you tell the American government you're coming here to explicitly to marry somebody, uh-huh. but you make all the planning prior instead of coming here, falling in love, and because we actually met in Rome, so yeah. it ma- made sense for us. And we had a lawyer that suggested that it was the could take a while to get it, but it you know it's not as questionable as somebody just coming here and potentially getting married mm-hmm. really quick. And so we went through the process, and it took us eight months, I think, to from when, let's say, I proposed. Mm-hmm. I'd say because it was mostly a conversation. You know, we realized that when Lucy visited back in in December um, and actually came with her family to meet my family, and we were not engaged yet, that basically we wanted to be together. And the only way was going to be to actually get married prior, because nobody was going to hire me and bring me with another work visa, and so we started the process, and by August, we were on vacation with my family. We received a basically communication. Then I had to go to the embassy in Naples to do two days of tests, mm. health tests and interviews. And she came along with me. We brought all the documentation, you know, letters, photos. We had a stack of documents. And I guess we lucked out, and uh, we had no issues. And uh, A couple months later, I was able to... October 7, 2004, I was able to come to the U.S., so...
1: So you got married in the U.S.? But we had
0: to get married. So the fiancé visa means that you promised to get married within 90 days.
1: Oh, so you had to get married within 90 days? Oh, that was quick, yes. Oh, my God. And did your family fly over?
0: We had a very small wedding with just my parents, all all my sisters that could make it, and... uh, which are three out of four, and then Lucy's family, which she also has a, only had a sibling, so it was pretty easy. Uh, and we did in our hometown, uh, Conquer Mass. And um, yeah, it was really quick. We married on October October 30th, so only 20-something days after I got here.
1: And then after that, you ended up getting your green card, but it took you really long to get your citizenship. And I was doing research and I was surprised because normally when you are married to American citizen, it the process of getting even citizenship or passport is much shorter. Right. So was that a deliberate attempt to just yes. prolong it?
0: Yes. <laughs> Initially, basically my concern, I had a green card, mm-hmm. the temporary green card, and then And then I basically became a permanent green card. At that point, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm good. I can work. I can do pretty much everything, citizenship. And I think I had also a little bit of a trauma from filling out forms. (laughs) i had done so many of those that the idea of having now to study, uh, you know, constitution and all those other things just scared scared me. And I had to also do other things like get a driver's license here. Oh, there was other tests. So... It took me a while to feel like, okay, now I'm ready for more forms. And uh, when I then I finally did it, and it wasn't that complicated because, yeah, it took maybe six months. But the thing that pushed me was when I realized that, you know, we were under Obama, and I was happy with that, but I wanted to <laughs> contribute. I wanted to vote. I felt, you know, I'm paying taxes here. I want to make sure I can contribute to it, you know, and, and vote. And I don't want to have to... Even traveling was stressful because traveling with as an immigrant, at least for me, was okay, you have the Italian passport and then you have to have the green card and the green card was giving me so all sorts of anxiety about losing it. Yeah. I had to show it for just ID sometimes before I had my driver's license. So it was always with me and I didn't want to lose it. And uh, when I had to travel I had to like, you know, slip it in the passport and it would come out and just, it was just not fun. And so I wanted to make sure that you know, my I could solve a lot of different things at once when becoming a citizen. And also, I'm here, right? I've been yeah. here for 15 years now. So I'd, I'm so glad I'm you're talking
1: back. about all of this, Francesca, because normally people don't realize that even when we talk about, first of all, I, I don't like to make these distinctions and putting immigrants in boxes of legal versus illegal, right. all of that nonsense. But even if we were to think like people like you and I who come here and we have our green cards and then we become citizens... It's a long and arduous process. It's like, and there's so much paperwork. And for me, my husband and I came, like, so it was like, we were on student visa. So it was student visa first, then H1, H4, and then green card, and then citizenship. But we were in it together. So Uh we were filling out forms together, I guess. And that was, uh, like... Some, I guess, consolation in a way where I was like, I'm not alone. And he was like, he's not alone. But I'm sure it must have been so difficult to go through all, all of that process. I'm sure Lucy was there for you. But still, it's like, it's difficult.
0: She was there. And I was lucky we had the lawyer that, that mm. helped from the very beginning yeah. and then over time. And so we're looking to have that. But and... My English was really good, so I didn't have too many issues reading the forms. But I can't imagine even just somebody has struggles with that. It just breaks my heart.
1: Yeah. So you got your citizenship during Obama's time. Yes. That was a good decision. (laughs) Yes, that that was a good decision. (laughs) That was a good decision. So going back, when you came to the U.S. initially, um, what was the transition like? Like a new culture, far away from family? Did you feel lonely, and do you feel lonely now at times?
0: Yes, to both. The The first time was, you know, I never lived in the U.S. i only travel to the U.S. for fun. When the first time when I was 10 with my parents, then when I was 18 with my grandmother, and then I visited Lucy before. So I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into. And I moved to the heart of Brooklyn, to Fort Greene, and everything was different, Right. I had never lived abroad, only uh, vacation even in Europe, and I didn't have a job. And I had Lucy, which was great. She was studying all the time; she was still in school. And so those early days felt pretty lonely. Luckily, the internet was already a thing, and then I could communicate with my family somewhat. But it wasn't as easy to make video calls as it is now, and you can send messages. Also, not as easy. It actually was expensive. And I don't think my family was as much on email as it, they're all now. So that was quite a challenge. I was lucky that I knew I had a profession that I could get a good job with.
1: So how soon so, did you start working after coming to the U.S.?
0: So one thing I didn't mention before is when I came through, although I came with a, a visa that in theory should have given me a right to work from the mm-hmm. get-go, at Newark they did not want to stamp my passport with the mm-hmm. work permit. So they let me in. But they gave me all sorts of troubles, and I don't even remember why. But yeah,
1: I was going to ask you why.
0: Well, they they, they didn't, didn't give me... A, yeah, they just said, no, we... Basically, it almost sounded like they wanted to make it harder for people to come. And yeah. I did not want to question that. I was like, not... My lawyer said, just arrive here, we'll fix anything we have to fix afterwards. Because with a fiancé visa, you're entitled to work as well. Because I don't know how we're we going to, you know...
1: Yeah, of course. Live otherwise.
0: So long story short, my lawyer told me you could go to another customs and fix things there, meaning talk to the officer there. And I went to another custom here in New York, and they were able to stamp my passport, giving me what was my right, the right to work. But unfortunately, they couldn't backdate it. And Mm -hmm. so I lost, basically, of the three months that that was going to last anyway, I lost at least two months. So by the time I was eventually ready to interview... Nobody was going to hire me with just one month of, you know, potential work. Because by then I would had to renew, yeah, my uh, work permit, and I hadn't gotten into the rhythm of filling out forms yet, <laughs> uh, or as much. And and so what happened is like I did interviews during my work permit while I was still, and I told people. I'd love to work here, but I have to wait then for the actual work permit hmm. to be renewed. And when it was renewed then in January, a week later, I was I had a job. So I was really lucky because I had a, a job that people were willing to wait for me for in a way. But I can't imagine otherwise how stressful it would have been to have no income for a long time. I had a lot of money that I brought from Italy, but that was it.
1: So I was listening to your StoryCorps story interview. This was like back in 2006 when you had just turned 30. And it's so interesting because listening to your story now and then I was listening to it like your when you were 30 and what your aspirations were and what you were thinking. How has life changed since that particular um, moment? And you've been in the U.S. for over a decade now. What has been the hardest part Um. To like in adjusting to the environment here.
0: So th- the hardest part, I think, actually, certain things have gotten easier because I've grown accustomed to everything from the subway to people, <laughs> language, right? Uh, yeah, food. New York
1: subway—that's yeah. a difficult thing to get used to. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So you know, living in Brooklyn, we were living in a fifth-floor walk-up. Enjoyed every moment of it. So that part actually wasn't the. B- I think the the biggest adjustment was for me, family. <laughs> Absolutely, like realizing that basically there's, and I think I brought in that post. Then
1: you're referring to your Facebook post, that yes, it. Facebook post, yeah,
0: and realizing that there's a lot of events, obviously, in life, and as you grow older, unfortunately, there's a lot of negative ones. Realizing that you cannot be there when when you want, that's hard. I miss probably a few weddings I would have liked to get to, and kids that would have liked to meet earlier on than i did i got a chance to go back unfortunately for a few funerals but that that, that's the hardest part knowing that if something happens i'm kind of too far to go right away that's that's the hardest part and i miss family and friends people ask me if i miss the food or i think they're so far behind the rest uh meaning i can cook my own food. And (laughs) in New York, you can find pretty much anything else. It's really family and close friends that I miss.
1: And nobody talks, or at least fewer people talk about that side of um, immigrant experience where being lonely and missing your family and not being there for them when they need you or when you need them. Um, Talking about Brooklyn, you said you live in Brooklyn. How has Brooklyn changed? Uh, did you uh, were you living in Brooklyn even in 2006? Yeah. Did you? Oh, uh, so you've been living in Brooklyn for I, almost
0: yeah we lived for in, like what
1: 13 years. Brooklyn has become extremely gentrified. What what no, are absolutely. some of the changes that you've seen in Brooklyn since you moved?
0: As I said, I moved to Brooklyn in 2004 oh. and left only a couple of years ago to go to outside the city in Westchester, and um, we fell in love with a house in. In a neighbor called you That's a separate conversation. But we moved three times within three block radius. Um, when I moved, Lucy had a studio apartment because she was a st- student. Mm. And when I moved, it was really impossible for us to work. Me to keep even applying to jobs. I remember holding a towel over my head, and so that she could sleep while I was typing and applying for jobs in the middle of the night. And then we a month later we moved to. South Portland, which is a beautiful street in in Fort Greene, and then nearby, in two thousand seven, just before the crash, we actually bought a place, oh. and we were really happy that that worked out, and we were there for ten years. And but obviously, gentrification meant that literally from when we bought that place, the value had gone down substantially with the crash. But then it come up, it just and
1: skyrocketed, skyrocketed,
0: right? and we sold. For way more than we bought it, and so we were able to buy something outside the city that is way bigger <laughs> for something. Yeah, like the two-bedroom versus five-bedroom, and it's like way. the cost cost less to buy something outside the city than something in Brooklyn. Brooklyn the prices are insane.
1: Yeah, but Brooklyn has a lot of character. So when I go to Brooklyn, and I live in Westchester as well, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty long commute. But in my mind, I always think that, oh, when my kids are older and when they're off to college one day, I will move to Brooklyn. (laughs) I I don't know why I I have this Uh um, fascination with Brooklyn, Uh, maybe because of the restaurants and the cafes and you go out and you see so much character. Uh, So why did you guys decide to move out of Brooklyn?
0: I think we were ready because we spent a lot of time already in Brooklyn and we're feeling a little tight where we were. And Lucy had been talking for maybe five years about, I'd like Mm to, you know, get a garden one day. And I also grew, both Mm -hmm. had grown up in, luckily in a family that, in a house that had a garden too. So to me, it wasn't a, made perfect sense. Um, But I didn't know better. I really didn't know anything else because we lived in Brooklyn, in Fort Greene, for 15 something years. So we... I said, well, let's go look. I, at least I want to know what's out there. Otherwise, the idea of suburbia scares me, <laughs> right? And I came to New York and then decided to move to go somewhere else. So I really enjoy every aspect of Brooklyn except not be able to find a parking spot ever. Um, you know, not much time I spend driving around to try to find a parking spot. And I loved everything else. I loved the whole the food, as you said. I loved the, how diverse it was. Yeah. I never felt like judge walking around the city.
1: Oh my God, that's such a good thing because diversity is such an important aspect of Brooklyn. There's no diversity in Westchester County. Do you see, I mean, relatively speaking, it's like you see a few people here and there.
0: Very, very low, yeah. absolutely. And that's something, in fact, that is one of the, you know, there are great schools but one of the downsides is that you're, you know, your child might be going to a school where there's absolutely no diversity and yeah, that's yeah, no. my,
1: my kids go to a school in, in the town that we live in. That has almost like, I don't want to say zero, that's like it being a bit of too extreme. But yeah, no diversity. It's probably my children are the only two brown kids there. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, and I, th- we are we are aware of that. And in fact, I don't know what we'll we'll do when time comes. We don't have kids yet working on it. But yeah, that, that is definitely the thing that we didn't, th- think about too much because we fell in love with the house. And and then that kind of drove all our decisions. We were driving around and ended up with this neighbor called Usonia and saw a home and basically a week later made a bid and was accepted. And we scrambled to sell our apartment in Brooklyn to make it happen. So it happened faster than...
1: You thought it would, yeah. Yeah,
0: I thought it would. So we didn't really consider everything. And... That's definitely the downside.
1: You came to the U.S. for love. Um, People have their American dream. This notion of American dream, which is so entrenched in American lexicon, is a myth in some ways because not all of us have American dream per se, right? We come for different reasons. Um, My husband and I came here for education out of curiosity, I guess. You came for love. Did your American dream, whatever, however you define it, did it evolve? And do you ever think about... At some point, when you're older, going back to Italy and just, you know, settling there, is, is that something that you think about?
0: I'll respond first to the Italy part, not as much, mm-hmm. but also my, not as much right now, but also my thinking has evolved over time. You know, when I came here, I was focusing on integrating here as much as possible, and then I started missing family a little more, and and traveling became easier because for multiple reasons, technically, and, and you know, uh, luckily I could afford it. So started shifting things. But also my parents started getting older. Yeah. And so there's so many aspects that affect my decision. So I can't say I will never move. Let's say my parents needed me. Somehow I have other sisters there too that could help. Mm-hmm. But also feel, especially towards the younger ones, that I'm the older brother. So I feel a certain responsibility. So who knows? Probably wouldn't move right away. Uh, luckily now I have a job that I can do from anywhere, almost anywhere. But so that I don't know if I would move back. I don't know if move back for sure. I would go and visit as much as possible. I'd love to take my kids during the summer, for you know, for uh, even a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, retire is so far. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can't promise that. Um, what's the first part of the question though?
1: The American dream, like
0: oh, the American. So I I feel like I I don't know if it was ill. In the when I grew up in the 80s, that somehow watching American TV was just most of the TV shows we were watching. So somehow I absorbed some of that. And so I think it was... The, and I, the fact that then I became open... You know, I traveled to the U.S. when I was 10. Two parts of the U.S. that a lot of Americans have never seen. I went to the desert, uh, Disneyland, the Sequoia National Park, Grand Canyon, uh, Las Vegas, all at 10. So that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I think that's maybe seeded something to make you know, made me feel like, oh, that's, you know, there's a lot more than just my small town. And so in that sense, maybe that that dream initially wasn't really, for sure I was studying advertising and then working in advertising for an American company. So that idea, oh, maybe I could relocate for a year or two, Maybe go to Chicago because that's where the headquarters were. But you know, I was not dating Lucy yet until mm-hmm. when I was 24, 25. So that wasn't really—I didn't really realize. Actually, I was scared initially that she was American because I was afraid that she would just go back. And I wasn't necessarily thinking, "Oh, I'll move too." So that was kind of a big jump to decide to come here then. But I wouldn't say it was necessarily out of a big dream. I'd say the dream came after, meaning when I was here, there's a realizing more. I feel like there's more opportunity for what I was doing back then and what I decided to move into afterwards. I'm more of an entrepreneur now than working in advertising and designer, designing websites and applications and things like that. I'm really tied to technology, and I feel like the change here in this space has been huge, and uh, the opportunity is much bigger than would have been in Italy. And definitely uh, back then. So that this is uh, kind of a newer dream.
1: I know we, we talked about this initially, that you were very close to your grandfather. If your grandfather were alive today, what's one thing that you wish he could see? I wish he met my wife. I think it would have meant, meant a lot to me.
0: Everything else is great. And I think he would be proud. And other grandparents told me that, especially on my... Walter's father, he was really good somehow, I was really recognizing, oh, you, he done a great job and, you know, very proud of me, although I'm sure he didn't really understand everything I was doing, because so new to him, I, I think I got a lot of appreciation in that sense, and I think it would have been great to for my grandfather just to meet my older, me and, you know, I was just 12 when, when he died, so he missed out a lot. I know it was You know, somehow he knows about it, but...
1: Of course. And before we wrap up, Francesco, if you were to describe America in a word or a phrase, given Uh, what's happening right now, all the politics of it, the messiness, the craziness, the diversity, but also the bigotry of it, how would you describe it?
0: One word does a lot. It's Maybe a, a sentence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, meaning because I feel like my feelings are changing almost on a daily basis. Like some oh, wow. days I ve- feel very hopeful. You know, we're talking about now doing an impeachment process. And so days they like really feel like you listen to somebody and it's like, this is a real patriot. And I'd never considered being in the military. But the idea of feeling so strongly about some values, that that's to me what I hope America still stands for. And I know there's a lot of things that are messed up, but I hope those good values prevail. So that's kind of my, it's it's mostly hope at, at this moment. I've been a lot of sadness for what has happened, unfortunately, in the last few years.
1: Thank you so much, Francesco. This was wonderful, your story. I wish we could have Lucy here as well.
0: I know. Maybe I we
1: can do a follow up uh, in, you yeah. know, a few months and have Lucy bring her and then have another conversation, yeah. uh, because I would love to get her side of the story. But thank you so much. This was wonderful.
0: And I wanted to talk about my grandmother. Oh. The fact that you know her family left there behind, and she would. Basically, grew up with this idea of the United States that she never got to see until she was seventy-four. Oh wow! But that's a separate story. So I could talk forever. (laughs) We want to do another one with Lucy. We could. We should. We we should absolutely do that. that.
1: Thank you everyone for listening. Come back next week when we have another wonderful story. In the meantime, check out our website and also our Instagram and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at immigrantly underscore pod and we are on instagram at immigrantly pod come back next week when we have another amazing story